0: Perfect if you want to carry a dish.
1: What is going on, Ready Yeti podcast listeners? Josh Savo here, your host on today's episode. I am sitting down with one of the founders of Wuru Wool, Matt Disney. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me.
0: No, Josh, really appreciate uh, you guys having us on and uh, getting to talk a little bit, a uh, little bit about the brand with you guys.
1: For sure. So, for the listener that may not be familiar uh, with Wuru, how would you best describe your brand to them?
0: So, uh, Wuru was founded about. By... About two years ago, after a trip uh, my wife and I took to New Zealand, um, we were actually found around an all-natural wool blister prevention product um, that we found in New Zealand, Um, hence the name Wuru, meaning wool in Maori, which is the the natives of the islands of New Zealand. Uh, But we are a premium wool company um, from... As I mentioned, we started with a blister prevention product um, and then quickly, um, you know, found through our customers um, that there was, um, they felt that there was a need for another Merino wool apparel company. Um, It was something that we always kind of thought that uh, was down the pipeline for us. Um, But, you know, from uh, some continued asks and, uh, you know, some Close relationships that we had um, came along a little quicker than uh, we necessarily envisioned.
1: That's really interesting. So you start the business in 2018, um, and it's obviously evolved in the last two years. Before you started it, did you have any interest in launching a business of some kind, or did this kind of just happen?
0: Yeah, entrepreneurship was always something um, that was of interest. Um, I kind of have a—I was—I've always been on the team sports side um, with an interest in the outdoors. Um, so, you know, from a, you know, did I, I, it would be false for me to say that, like, you know, I grew up saying, man, I can't wait to own an outdoor company. I think the outdoors have always had a close piece of my heart, but it was always more of a hobby than a career for me. Um, having worked on the team sports side of things, um, from both the athlete and the major brand perspective, um, you know, so it was a little bit of a new avenue and some learnings um, on that side. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's also made for some uh, pretty natural transitions as well.
1: That's really interesting. So you, you're, you're, you live in Salt Lake right now, and I don't know if you've bounced around quite uh-huh. a bit. Um, when you started in 2018, um, how, how did you get things off the ground? Where, where, where was sort of square one for you?
0: So I it was a, had an interesting time, So as you mentioned, that uh, I am Salt Lake-based. Um, prior to Salt Lake, um, I was based in Chicago, um, working uh, at the Gatorade headquarters. Um, my wife now um, was in Salt Lake, and when we decided to make the move, um, or trying to figure out if she was coming to, um, to Chicago, or if I was going to be moving to Salt Lake, it was a pretty easy decision for us, um, or at least for me, that I was going to be heading west. And I was very fortunate to have, and still am fortunate, to have a great leadership team um, at Gatorade that allowed me to take a step back um, and take more of a consulting or brand rep role um, with the brand. Um, But with that, knowing that I had to bring on other lines Um, and with Gatorade, you know, we really work in two sides, both the team sports, um, working with coaches, um, athletic trainers. Um, And so we were, you know, continuously looking for other products Um, at this point in time. um, You know, you really get caught in two different segments as you're looking to build out a rep agency and you either have, large brands that for the most part are all set um, with their representation, or you have small brands that really just want to leverage your relationships and the playbook and, you know, you to build their brand for them. And that's when it got, you know, I was working on a couple different projects um, and that's when I really got thinking like, if I'm going to build somebody else's brand, why don't I build my own? And that's when we started trying to figure out, okay, what exactly was this that we were going to do? And, you know, here we were, uh, my wife and I in New Zealand trying to take a few weeks away from work. And we went out on a five day, uh, guided trek, And, uh, as I mentioned, you know, one of the sides of our business that we work in heavily is with and around athletic trainers. So, here we were and our guy just kept talking about this blister prevention product. And I was truthfully, you know, I'm like, okay, if this stuff, like this is the least innovative product. If it worked as well, as they said, like, why isn't it in the States? And so we keep going through and my wife's like, let's just get some. And I was, you know, at this point I was like, if you want it, get it, like it's 10 bucks, like just go ahead and purchase it. And, You know, let that, you know, let that be that. And so we get out a few days and, you know, being super active in Salt Lake, you know, I was kind of of the mentality, like, oh, my feet are going to hold up to anything. And pretty quickly you realize that the climate in New Zealand is just different. Um, Sure. And and so that's when I jumped in and, you know, I tried this product and, you know, was quickly blown away with, uh, with how it worked. And, uh, you know, that's how we kind of got our bearings. And, uh, you know, one thing led to the next.
1: That's really interesting. Now, okay, so you start off with this blister prevention product. What was it like sourcing and um, starting to create sort of a supply chain and selling it? I assume you started direct-to-consumer. Was it successful right off the bat or did it take time?
0: So that is, you know... Fortunately, we were able to leverage some of our relationships. So while we were direct-to-consumer and uh, selling through various e-commerce channels, um, we also did have a lot of relationships um, from prior relationships. Um, So with the large sports medical distribution houses, um, we were quickly able to get them on board. Um, So we knew that we would have the sales channels. Um, so, you know, I think that was one of the very unique things that we did have. Um, but with that being said, you know, it hasn't come without challenges. Cause to your point, you know, here we are, um, you know, looking at trying to build out a supply chain, source product. We know we like this product, but how do you go in work to try to procure enough product, working on packaging, working on branding, all of those pieces, you um, we really had to get up, and we had to scale quickly.
1: That's really interesting. Okay, so you you leverage your past work experience, um, network to really help get the business off the ground. Um, how did you transition your 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 day job to then uh, Like, did it take a long time for you to then start committing to this business full time?
0: It's uh, so, just you know you know to be honest with you, I'm still I you know I still represent Gatorade. Um, so you know here we are. I'm trying to juggle a few different things, um, and luckily we have a we have a great team um, that allows us to you know work um, in a few different you know in a few different channels, and uh, you know we still have a very strong team there that uh, you know in terms of working with our our dealers, and then you know I still obviously. Um, need to guide this ship and uh, continue to build this brand as well. So, um, you know, it is wearing many different hats trying to get things done um, and juggle them all. Um, But, you know, I think it's also um, there are a lot of parallels where we're we're able to, uh, you know, work together on them both.
1: For sure. And I, I always like asking brands, this or founders of brands, do you, now that you have the business, are you finding that you're spending less time outside because you're so busy with the business?
0: Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, we, we joke about that. I think you get to a point um, where you know, brands really kind of go one way or the other. Either people use it as a springboard to get outdoors. And I think that's when you see a lot of brands get stagnant. Or you see people that their love and drive um, really kind of shifts to building a brand and building a uh, culture network um, within. And, you know, things kind of shift and, you know, you find yourself uh, behind a computer or in a warehouse a lot more than you do uh, outside, you know, on the mountain.
1: It's kind of funny how that happens over time. Um, okay, so you start with, the, with um, the blister prevention, and then you slowly move into um, apparel making base layers and uh, wool shirts. How, how was that transition? Was it difficult to um, put together the supply chain and really develop those products to a point where you're, you're satisfied with the quality?
0: Um, So as you, as you and I were discussing actually just prior um, to the call, I think it's one of those things um, where I, you know, I mentioned that, you know, things happen a little quicker than we necessarily envisioned. Um, One of the reasons being I was at OR um, working on some distribution for our blister wool and happened to grab a drink with a close friend of mine um, from my time when I lived in Denver and he's got two, now high school age boys, and he, you know, we were sitting there talking. I, we we're, you know, just catching up, and he's in, the, in the outdoor space as well, and we got talking about what I was working on, and he's like, you realize that uh, his boy's mom is one of the best apparel designers, uh, working with, you know, some of the most notable brands, uh, not only in the outdoor but also the active space, and you know, I, that was news to me. And so quickly, um, we were able to leverage that relationship, um, and, you know, get, go from a concept to actual, you know, wearable triable samples, um, of, you know, kind of take our ideas and put them to the drawing board rather quickly. Um, so, you know, it was, a little bit of drinking out, trying to drink out of a fire hose is we thought this was kind of our, you know, probably our, forty, you know, 36, 48 month plan. Um, And all of a sudden, here we are, 12 months in trying to secure um, the needed, you know, capital to be able to develop this. And so quickly, um, you know, things escalated. Um, But with that, we were able to rely on some of these relationships to, you know, really put, you know, the apparel and our samples and our first round of samples through the ringer and work with some, you know, great athletes and let them kind of really, you know, from the drawing board, um, you know, find the things that they didn't like about what they were currently wearing um, or what they were currently using. And so that's, you know, that was the foundation was, you know, take something that we knew was good. But really get it out in the field and figure out what was it that, you know, what was that 5% that they weren't getting from, you know, the products that they uh, were currently using.
1: All right. So how long did it take you to get through this whole process of of fine-tuning the the apparel piece?
0: So we started testing apparel in uh, 2018. Um, So that's when we really took things down to the drawing board. Um, broke down a lot of you know products that were currently out there and uh, you know built them back up and started building samples um, and breaking those down and figuring out what we did and what we didn't like from them all. Um, so he, that was uh, 20 the winter of 2018 um, 2019 uh, was when we started production um, which was, you know, a a lot of trial and error and trying to find the right manufacturing partners and the right, you know, fabric partners and all of that. So um, we truly started production um, in spring, early summer of uh, 2019. And then here we are uh, today with our first collection of products.
1: That's interesting. And I I guess I have a sort of a a timely question. Um, I think... Most of your manufacturing is done in the U.S., is that correct?
0: That's correct. You know, that is one thing that we really wanted was, um, you know, with the Merino space being, you know, a rather crowded market. You know, what were some of the ways that we could differentiate ourselves? And one of them was being, you know, making all of our products here in the U.S.
1: So I I guess uh, my question here is, I know with the, the coronavirus going on, sort of, all over the world has that affected your supply chain at all? I know, obviously, you're, you make the product here in the U.S., but I assume some of the material is sourced from all over. Have you seen any sort of sort of slowdown or issues so far?
0: It, from us, we have not. You know, luckily, we got through a lot of our fall manufacturing. Um, we do have some fabric that's in transition um, coming from. Um, Asia, where it is, uh, where it is, is knit. Um, but luckily, most of that stuff is already in transition. Um, and then, you know, I think the real question for us is, what is the state of the coronavirus when that fabric lands and we start cutting and sewing? Um, you know, obviously, some of the things that you see overseas, it looks like, you know, they are you know, in the process of starting to ramp back up, Um, you know, if we kind of use some of that same timeline, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, um, you know, what that looks like for us. But, um, you know, if it has, you know, some delays, I feel confident that, um, you know, with the geographical proximity to us that, uh, you know, that in itself should trim, some of that timeline and I would be less worried than, uh, you know, some others that are strictly manufacturing overseas.
1: For sure. Now, now talking about the manufacturing process, how do you guys keep sustainability sort of front and center, especially running an outdoor focused brand?
0: Well, I think one of the big pieces is, you know, luckily oh. with California, you know, all of our manufacturing is done in Los Angeles. Um, with that being said, you have some of the most strict, um, you have, you know, some of the most strict environmental regulations uh, anywhere. You have somebody at the cutting edge of, and, you know, a leader that is making a lot of these calls. So, you know, that does provide some challenges to us, but, you know, we are, you know, super excited to see some of the changes that have been made. You know, some of the things that have been done in the industry um, prior with regards to pre-shrinking fabrics or other ways, you know, just strictly don't meet the guidelines and regulations um, that California has set forth. So it's, you know, it's required us to think differently. Um, But, you know, we are really excited and happy to know that, you know, what we are doing is um, really at the forefront of, uh, you know, and, you know, starting to kind of drive the industry. And, you know, while things could be a little bit more streamlined and straightforward without those regulations um, or overseas manufacturing, um, you know, we are very happy to know that, you know, we are doing our best effort and putting our best foot forward, trying to, uh, you know, combat some of the issues at hand.
1: For sure. Now, I want to ask uh, outside of you and your wife, how many people are on the team Um, Are you using mostly contract workers or how how does that all work?
0: Yeah, so we are very, um, you know, we are very consultant heavy, um, which I actually, you know, like, I think that's, you know, I've been able to see some large brands that, uh, you know, rely on really exceptional talent. And that was something that, You know, I always knew if we were going to do something, we wanted to do it right. And I think one of the big ways that you do that is partner with the correct people. Um, So we have spent time, you know, vetting out, you know, who our partners were going to be. Um, But, you know, I think there's a few different, you know, trains of thought. But when I look at my strengths and what I can really bring to to the table and bring to the brand – Me trying to figure out how to do SEO or back end marketing, you know, and try to learn the digital space, for instance, would just not be effective for any of us. I could spend 40, 60, 80 hours a week trying to teach myself how to do this, or I can pay somebody that is tried and true and be able to better use my time. Cause I think that's one of the big things when people get brands and get ideas and try to launch is, you know, there is a lot of, there is a lot of time that you could save not spinning your tires. And I think that would be a piece of advice that I'd give is just, you know, make sure that, you know, what you are doing, you're utilizing, um, your strengths because time is of the essence And, you know, that's one thing, you know, as I mentioned, that's just one thing that we really wanted to focus on was finding those right people. And, you know, some of those, a lot of them are consultants.
1: I think that brings up a really good point is you can't be good at everything and and everyone has their strengths, right? Those two to three things that they're really good at doing. And like you said, like if it for you is like doing SEO, that sort of digital stuff, it's like... My expertise isn't in that. It's sort of a waste of time <laughs> for me to try and get my wheels around, like spinning around that. Um, and I think that's such a good way of looking at it because you can save yourself a lot of time and even money because just because you're free, quote, unquote, as a business founder in the early stages, you still have that opportunity cost that you're giving up, not focusing on other parts of your business that may be more effective or you're just more effective at. Um, so I want, to, I want to ask you, up, up until this point, having the business for over two years now, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made?
0: You know, I think some of it has been, uh, you know, when looking at it, you know, we've been, you know, to do to get where we are, you know, we've had to be aggressive. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you have um, as a small brand is, one of the advantages you have is that you have the ability to of flexibility. And I think there are a couple times that, you know, we should have pivoted um, quicker than we may have, um, you know, and I think we've learned from that. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, one of the pieces where, you know, if it's working with a manufacturer or working with, you know, different supply partners, um, you know, when looking at supply chain, Um, you know, I think that's one where you have to make sure you have the right people. Um, but also knowing that, you know, we've had a couple instances where we've ran into some manufacturing issues and knowing that you would rather not do something than, you know, we, we personally would rather not do something than do it incorrectly. And, you know, I think there are a couple of times where we waited too long um, moving on from, you know, a, you know, a various, you know, supplier. Um, I think those are some things that, you know, while you don't have a lot of relationships um, in the beginning, you have to be confident that your vision is the right one. And if you have you know it's the classic you know one bad apple can spill the bunch and you have to just be careful that um you know you have the right people and right partners in place and not be afraid to take one step back um because you know you could be uh, helping yourself take a couple steps forward so you know i think that would be one of the big things is just not getting rid of people um quickly enough if uh you know we don't feel they're the right fit
1: that's great. That's a really good point. Um, now, where do you see Wuru in the next year, five years, ten years down the road?
0: You know, so we we look to you know continue to grow, um, you know, as a wool company. You know, I think we look at you know we feel very comfortable um, with our blister prevention products, um, but really trying to be a company that helps people um, get outdoors um, and you know really push further. Um, so I think we want to listen to the athlete. We want to also listen to that, you know, not only the person that is going to push for the next peak, but also that person that is, um, you know, that everyday athlete that might just be going, trying to do some, you know, go a little bit further in their own aspect. You know, maybe it's, venturing outdoors um a little bit more than they had in the past um but give people products that they feel comfortable and confident um that whatever they are trying to do um they can do in our products um you know we we plan to grow sensibly um we plan to you know add a few products at a time we aren't going to trying to chase um private equity funding um to grow and scale quicker, um, so we know that's going to come with some challenges. But we feel that the way we are growing is sustainable, um, and that we can continue to take chips off the block, making really high-quality products here in the U.S. Um, that are brought to the customer and the brought to the consumer at a very fair price.
1: Well, I'm definitely excited to see um, all the things that you guys do in the next couple of years with Wuru, and I want to thank you, Matt, for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and really the story of of Wuru and the development of it since um, you guys... You and your wife took that trip to New Zealand. And uh, I want to point out for anyone who's listening to this episode before April 7th, you can actually enter to win um, some uh, wool apparel from Wuru. Uh, just head over to ReadyEddy.com for your chance to win, along with a ton of other products from up-and-coming brands. And again, Matt, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast.
0: Yeah, Josh, really appreciate you guys having us.